Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cyclocross Social Podcast, the second episode of this weekend as it's the first doubleheader and with me here to talk about the second race of that doubleheader are Twan and Nissan. Hello. Hey everybody. The second race of this weekend was the first round of the Super Prestige in Gieten and Issam will talk us through the men's race. Yeah, so it was the first race of the season uh, for the Super Prestige in Gieten with a lot of mud. We saw a very good start from uh, Nieuwenhuizen, who was uh, good in front. Iserbeet was also very close by uh, with, with Toon Aerts and uh, Quinten Hermans. Those were kind of the guys that were in front. Lauren Zweig as well showed himself up front in the first lap. But we could see that there were four riders that were very strong in this race. It was Quinten Hermans and Toon Aerts that were in the first group fighting for the first position. And then in, in the group behind them, it was Lauren Zweig and Elise Beat fighting for that third spot. Behind them, it was a, a bigger group with Ron Haar, uh, with Ryan Kamp as well. Uh, also Van der Haar joining them. Uh, but they would never uh, be in contention for the podium. In the first, in, in the middle part of the race, it was uh, Quinten Hermans that showed a little bit um, of his strength. That, that, you know, we were thinking that he was maybe the stronger guy in this race. Uh, but then Tonarts in the second half of the race, two laps before the finish, he just showed uh, Quinton Hermans uh, that he was very strong and in uh, in one lap was able to to make a gap of uh, uh, 20 seconds. So it was a very strong performance and in the end it was Tonarts that won that race uh, in front of uh, Quinton Hermans and in third place it was in the end Elisabeth that uh, you know was in front of Lauren Zweig and uh, won that battle for third. Well, first of all, maybe to mention, I'll be talking about the men's race mainly with Islam and the women's race mainly with Tuan due to our time schedule. But anyway, let's zoom in on that battle between Arts and Hermans. You already mentioned it in your summary. In the first half of the race, it really looked like Hermans had the upper hand over Arts. Yeah, indeed. And I, it, it seemed like Ton Arts was just not really comfortable. I don't know why he gave that impression. Because in the second half of the race, it was clearly that he didn't have any issues. Uh, but in the first half of the race, you know, I felt like like Hermans was just a little bit stronger. Tone had some issues, had to close down some gaps. You know, Hermans was making some mistakes on some parts where Tone could go all the way with his bike. Uh, Quinton struggled and had to run. But it was not that he lost so much time there. So, yeah. Uh, but overall, it was a very strong race from Hermans. Definitely. In the beginning, I had the feeling that Hermans was super strong stronger than Arts, he looked to be very attacking and aggressive through the corners, it was pretty muddy, so he looked looked really in this zone, but eventually Don Arts just, I mean, Arts was never really dropped like 5 seconds, it was always maximum 3 seconds and he managed to come back by putting down the power, and basically the further we came through the race, the more you had the feeling, okay, Don Arts is probably a bit stronger, and it really shifts in the middle of the race. They looked at, they looked to be equally matched. But then in the second half, I mean, Donat was just stronger because at some point, Arch just attacked. And the gap between Hermans and Isabit stayed the same, but Arch just opened 20 seconds over Hermans. Yeah, indeed. It was, you know, because when uh, when Arch attacked and, and, and the gap became so big, I was like, is Quinton really, like, slowing down? Is But, but then they... Uh... You know, when they started the lap, the, the last lap, you could see the, the timing. And it was, you know, Quinten Hermans actually in that in that seventh lap gained time on Iserbeet. So, it, you know, it, it was just Tone Arts that was really strong. And I guess just saving himself for, 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 the, for, the, for the last two laps. And when he went, it was, uh, 
you know, there was no one that could stop him. I mean, the lap times also show that because if you look, Arch attacked in the seventh, and that's the penultimate lap, and his lap times went down to 7.24, whilst he did 7.47 the lap before. Hermans did 7.48, followed by 7.50, so that's almost the same pace. But it just shows Arch, he, Arch just attacked. I mean, if you look at the lap times of Isabit, Isabit loses 11 seconds. He goes to 7.56, so that's what Islam said. Isabit even lost time on Arch. Arch put in the second fastest lap of the race, the second lap being the fastest lap, which is the lap that he and Hermans opened the gap over Isabit. So it really just shows that Arch had saved himself. And I guess it's fair to say Arch told us he wanted to be there when it mattered, when the season really started, the classifications. Well, he kept his promise because Gite, I mean, this is a super prestige. It starts super prestige if you have one bad race. Your entire classification is gone due to the point system they have. So I guess Don Art really peaked at the right moment. Yeah, I think so as well. It, it's um, the, the problem with the Super Prestige uh, in a way is because of the point system. You know, he was so strong today. And because it's not it's not a classification on time. If he has one bad race, you know, you're not gonna, um, you're not gonna get bonus points for being so strong today. Uh, so... I hope that he can maintain this in a way and not have have a bad race somewhere. But you 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 know you cannot predict those things. But I was really impressed. This was obviously a little bit the circumstances Tonars loves, eh? with mud, a very hard race in a way. It's not very very fast. Um, there is no space for any tactics. It's just the strongest that's gonna win, and he he loves this. But it 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 just um, it was a very very you know good race from his side, and uh, if he's gonna maintain this line. I think Paul Sauz is going to worry a little bit. Definitely, especially because Isabit wasn't only beaten by Arch today. It was also Quinton Hermans in front of him. Hermans was 40 seconds in front of Isabit. Isabit was more than a minute down on Arch. And I guess it's fair to draw the conclusion that the mud doesn't really suit Isabit. Because personally, I can't really remember the last time that Isabit had a good performance when we had real thick mud like today. Because there's a difference. When Isabit won the World Cups in Waterloo in Iowa two years ago, it was muddy, but there was a thin layer. The top layer was thin mud, which is very slippery, but now we had thick mud where you really needed to push the power, and on that that type of mud, I can't remember when Isabit the last time was that he put in a good performance there. No, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it right now. I, I can't really find one. Um, maybe Havre, but even that, I don't think so. No, so for him, it's Isabit really loves if it's a bit faster. For him, it can be hard. Like with, with if there are some hills in it and stuff, he likes that. But it just doesn't need to be like this tough in a way with a lot of mud, and you know he he just he just can't really handle it. But nevertheless, if this is not the circumstances you are, which is your bread and butter, like you don't really like this, he still managed to pull off a third place, and for for the classification, is is a solid result. Indeed, a solid result for Isabit. Let's run down the entire top 10 then. We had Don Aerts winning in front of Quinten Hermans and Eli Isabit. Outside of the podium, we find Laurens Zweig in front of Lars van der Haar, Pim Ronaar, Toon van der Bos, Jens Adams, Tom Meuse, and 10th place, Corne van Kessel. Let's talk about Lars van der Haar here. Lars van der Haar had a very strange race because in the beginning of the race, I don't know what he was doing, but he was absolutely nowhere. There was a big group riding for 5th and van der Haar was behind that. 
and then we basically didn't see anything of that group and all of a sudden Van Haar was in fifth place at the end. Yeah, that that was basically a nice summary of how Van der Haar's race went because, you know, obviously because they were a little bit more behind, the focus was more at the front because we had a nice two-way battle for the win. But indeed, we saw Van der Haar in the beginning a little bit around nice. I think it was outside the top 10 and inside the top 10 a little bit, like ninth, 10th position, but, you know, far behind. And then all of a sudden we see him in the last two laps fighting with Ronar for fifth place and... Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of magic, but every time he's doing it, this that those comeback races, and it seems like he's like this diesel engine that needs to start up very slow to then just come, and then it comes his way a little bit. So overall, I think he should be happy because he's not a f- big fan of mud. No, definitely. And if you look in his lap times, you can see that he could keep his pace more consistent. In the beginning, he had the 12th lap time for two laps in a row, then a ninth, then a seventh, and then in lap six, he puts in the f- fastest time. Lap seven, he has the fourth time, only behind Arch, Hermans, and Iserbeet. And the lap after that, the last lap, he puts in um, his personal fastest lap of the race, and that was also the fastest lap of the last lap. So I guess it really shows that he either had some kind of issue we don't know about in the beginning of the race, or he just paced himself really well. I think it's more the second one. He paced himself really well. I don't think he does that start on purpose, that he's not really fast. <laughs> but but then, you know, when the race goes on, there are a lot of guys that he overtook that are a little bit more inexperienced with pacing themselves and knowing their limits. I mean, the likes of uh, Thibaut that, that was on his first race, only 19. Same with Ronhar, only 20. You know, those guys are a bit inexperienced with those one-hour races, and especially when the parkour is a little bit tougher. You know, they struggle to find a good rhythm in the beginning and they tend to go a little bit faster and then have a have a, have a bigger drop in the end of the race. For the rest of the riders in the top 10, I mean, we can talk about Pim Ronhaar a bit. I think he also did a good result. I think this is his best race of the season so far in terms of result, but also in terms of performance. Yeah, it was, but he wasn't happy with it uh, when he crossed the line uh, smashing his steering wheel. I think he wanted to be in front of Van der Haar or something, but... I, I think he should be very happy with his result. He was kind of best of the rest of the under-23. And he was um, he was looking strong. Very consistent race. Finally, a race of him where you could see, you know, that he was uh, up there in the top 10 the whole race and, you know, doing a, a steady race, not really going too hard in the beginning, knowing that it's a long race. And I kind of liked that. That was, that was really uh, good to see from him. And then a final touch on Tom Meuse. Tom Meuse ended ninth today. He has been struggling a bit throughout the past seasons. I mean, now still, it's not the level it used to be. Tom Meuse used to be fighting for wins consistently. He won the Super Prestige in Gita, I think, in 2011 from the top of my head. Anyway, ten, to 8 to 10 years ago, he was still regularly fighting for wins. But I think this year he's made some improvements. I mean, he's 33 now. But last year, you would often see him around place 15 to 20. And even in these type of races with not everyone being there, I think Tomeus can be happy with the ninth place and it shows there's some sort of improvement. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. And it was very good to see him race, to be honest. He's one of those guys that, you know, is, is, uh, is not from the generation that we are seeing right now in front. So it's, it's very nice to see. And he's, he's uh, hanging in there and uh, trying to, to get the best out of it. But I think we have to be a little bit realistic. I don't think that this is... Uh, that it can be any better than this. I think he will be trying to get those top 10s and that will kind of be his 
his better results and then we will see him also more in the 10th to 15th region in a way but I loved it to see him in the top 10. Yeah, I agree, and I'm not sure if he will be going to those World Cups in the United States, but anyway, it will be good to see how he does there. About those World Cups, as we are speaking, the riders of Balva Streckleins are packing their bikes as their bikes are leaving tonight to the USA, and they are leaving tomorrow, so I guess that's interesting, and we'll be able to see more there. That's that on the men's race then. Twan will talk us through what happened in the women's race. It would be a very hectic start in Gieten as different riders would take the lead throughout the first lap. Uh, Kant, Brandt, Kastelein, Betsema. And it would be Betsema that would end up having the fast first lap. Uh, she would create a little bit of a gap to um, to to uh, Lucinda Brandt who would be chasing throughout the remainder of the race. And uh, I was kind of hoping that she would stay away so I could watch the final of Paris-Roubaix without too many interruptions. Uh, but Lucinda Brandt would make it very interesting as she was able to come back and overtake Denise Betsma, taking the victory ahead of her. And in third place, it was Annemarie Worst. About the race, I had the feeling that the men's race was more exciting because Hermans and Arch were together all the time. But the women's race, it was pretty tense because Betsema and Brandt, I mean, they were never really together, were they? They were always separated by a few seconds, but you always had the feeling, hmm, okay, Betsema has a narrow lead and then Brandt had a narrow lead. And you were always, hmm, if something goes wrong, one mistake and they're back together, but they never got back together. Yeah, very much so, and uh, they uh, made it a very good battle, and uh, of course far in front of the other people that were also there. And we have to say, very impressive by Lucinda Brandt, it's her first race of the season coming straight from the Road World Championships last week, to immediately be fighting for the win and also winning, I mean... Not everyone can do that, especially fighting against Betsma, who's had now, this is her fourth week of racing, so I guess that's very impressive, and if maybe she just doesn't need the rhythm, but if she gets into a rhythm and it will boost her, then I would basically be pretty scared if I was the opposition of her. Yeah, this is of course also a, a parkour that suits Lucinda Brandt very much on the power uh, a lot of the time, uh, so it was a really good cross for her to come back into but immediately winning is always very impressive uh, it's something uh, we're used to seeing from uh, van der Poel of course yeah and even for van der Poel that hasn't been easy the last couple of years but you were right the parkour did suit Brandt I mean if you're not the strongest today there's no way you're winning because it's so much power so little time to recover you can hide nowhere Certainly, I think, uh, of course, as a strong as you can still make a few mistakes here and there. But uh, if the differ difference in uh, power here is significant, like, you're just beating the other person. Because they're just not going to be able to come back. So uh, Brandt and Betsma very well matched today. And uh, Brandt able to uh, take it away. Yeah, of course, you can always make a couple of mistakes. But I think eventually, like... A small look back, like yesterday, the Etiascos and Meulebeke there. Kant was technically the strongest, and because she was able to open a gap lap after lap on the technical sections, Zoe Baxit needed to put down a lot of power to come back, and eventually that just led to Kant being stronger in the end, because Baxit needed to spend more energy closing those gaps. And today, 
I think to some extent we saw the same that Betsma at some point started to make mistakes because there was this hill and Brandt was able to ride pretty far and Betsema well she made quite some mistakes there because some laps she came almost to the end and in other laps she almost needed to get off her bike like at the bottom of the climb. Yeah having to go off the bike you saw it I think with Quinton Hermans in the men's race as well like constantly having to go off the bike it costs extra power um, because well you are more trained of course on sitting on the bike and producing the power there so in the long run I think you see the differences and that's also how it turned out. We have to mention the third place of Anna-Marie Worst, but there really isn't a lot to say about. She was a lot stronger than the riders behind her, but certainly not strong enough to fight with Brandt or Betsema. Yeah, um, I think it's promising that she's keeping the rest uh, comfortably behind today. Uh, getting back to where she was like two years ago, um, and hopefully she can make the steps to uh, compete with Brandt and Betsema, as uh, Alvarado is of course out for a uh, longer period of rest. Yeah, that's something we haven't mentioned so far, but uh, Cian del Carmen Alvarado is out for an unknown amount of time. She had, of course, that disappointing start to her season in Bredene. She did some blood tests after that, and that showed that she needs to rest. There's been no statement on why that is, just that the blood test showed that she needed to rest, which basically comes down to overtraining, most likely, and she won't be here for at least the last... Uh, for at least the coming three weeks, I must say, so she won't be going to the United States either. Let's run down the entire top 10 then. Behind our podium of Brandt, Betsema and Worst, we find Annick van Alphen in front of Inge van der Heide. 6th place for Jara Kastelein, 7th Puk Pietersen. 8th place for Sonnekant, who nabbed that position from Shirin van Androoy, who was thinking she already finished 8th on the line. 10th place for Fem van Empel. I would like to talk here about Anik van Alva and Inger van der Heide, both riding for the 777 team. I was pretty impressed by their performances. I didn't expect them to end 4th and 5th here. Yeah, this is certainly not, uh, especially with van der Heide, not the course we would associate with her. Uh, usually uh, think of her as someone that's good on the quicker courses. Uh, so, this, yeah, I was very impressed to see her uh, beating uh, the likes of Yara Kastelein and Sanne Kant on this kind of race. And also for Van Alphen, she keeps making progress in pretty rapid steps. I mean, a couple of years ago, she was basically nowhere. Then she started moving towards the top 20. And then in a, a few races with less names at the start, she managed to get the top 10. I think in Hamme, that's at least the first time she was really seen on the broadcast. Then she made the move to 777 last year, sometimes on the podium, usually in the top 10. Now just another step, and I think she can be really happy with the progress she's making. And she's in good hands at the 777 team. Certainly, um, and it is indeed uh, Van Alphe just continues to make steps, continues to show that she is still improving. And yeah, just in a really good environment with a good team around there as well. The same can't be said for Yara Kastlein. I thought it was a slightly disappointing performance in 6th. I mean, she was in 4th for a while, then fell back a bit, and then eventually ended 6th, losing 2 places in the last lap. I had expected more from her, especially in this muddy parkour. Yeah, um, the mud really making it a power course, right? 
it is something that you'd hope Yara Kostelein would challenge a bit more on. Uh, maybe not quite her day, which of course on this kind of course uh, doesn't really help you out at all. For Puck Petersen, she got the seventh place here today. Personally, I think that's still a solid result, but maybe we just severely oh that's not a maybe we just severely overestimated her in our race preview podcast when we were basically going off a third place in Bredene for her yeah two minutes behind that was uh, clearly a bit too much I would also briefly like to talk about three names outside of the top 10 I do know that there is a gap of almost two minutes from 10th to 11th but that 11th place for Ribeirol confirms what we said yesterday, and that is that she is somewhat improving. Yeah, showing why she was the U23 uh, world champion a few years back in Dubendorf. Uh, actually, like getting some decent results in here, um, beating some people that uh, two years ago uh, would have been amazing. But uh, maybe uh, now, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, certainly also an okay performance by Arzufi. She had a mechanical which cost her a lot of time in the beginning of the race and also a lot of positions. 12th place for her is also something she can be happy with. Yeah, slowly on the way back to uh, decent results. Very important to see that uh, improving line here. Final note here is on Manon Bakker. We've talked about her struggling for form and today was no different. Normally this should have been a good parkour for her. 13th place here isn't great, but... I do see some small things that I that give me the feeling that she is making very small but ever so slight some improvement. There's going to be have to be some huge improvements uh, to match what she did last year because this is the kind of girls last year where she would be challenging for top five and toward the back end of the season she would have been up there with Brandt and Betsma I think like she was in Overijssel for example. But don't forget, it's also mentally tough. Last year, she didn't have a lot of pressure. And this year, basically, it's something that you see a lot. That the year after your breakthrough year, you have a lot of pressure. And you expect things from yourself. And you think, okay, this is a goal. And then maybe that's not realistic. And you can't deal with the pressure. And you have a setback. And you just come in this downward spiral of more of your morale. It just goes down and down and... That could be something that's the case with Manon Bakker. Yeah, whatever the case is, I just hope that she is able to find what she had last year um, and build on that because it was absolutely amazing what she was able to do at the uh, second half of last season even. Well, I think we've had it then for the women's cyclocross race. We will now talk through some of the other results in the rest of Europe. We had the second round of the Coupe de France in Pierrick. Men's race was won by Joshua Dubot in front of David Menu and Kevin Suarez-Fernandez. Winner of yesterday, Roulier, rode in the under-23 category and won there. Women's elite race was won by Lien Burquet in front of Helene Clausel and Amandie Foucounet. We proceed to the Grand Premio Internationale Cyclocross Cita di Yesolo in Italy. Men's race was won by Nadir Colendani in front of Davide Toneati and Gioele no, Bertolini in the third. We had also cross in Norway. Lende Jonge took another win there in front of Mats Tubas Glende and Knut Rome. Women's elite race was not won by Susanne Verhoeven. She won yesterday but ended second today. Mie Björndal Ottestad took the win. Alma Johansson in third. 
I would also briefly like to touch up on the results of the Charm City Cross Day 1 in the USA. Vincent Bassans took the win in the men's category in front of Kerry Werner and Stephen Hyde. Blevins, the short track world champion mountain bike, ended fourth. Women's elite race won by Honsinger in front of Mani and Katie Close. Finally, to round off this pretty long episode of the Cyclocross Social podcast, we have to touch up on Paris-Roubaix because although it was a road race today, it looked more like a cyclocross race. And yesterday too, yeah. As we said, like as I said yesterday as well, um are joking about uh, maybe uh, it would have been smart to go to Middelkerke to prepare. And uh, we certainly saw that back wall, an absolutely amazing race, absolutely epic scenes. Very epic. We saw Macho van der Poel, world champion cyclocross, being one of the main protagonists in what looked like a movie because there was so much happening. We can't summarize it, but we also don't need to because we talk about the cyclocross. But I think it's fair to give Van Aert credits here. And Florian Vermeers is a rider who was very talented in cyclocross, but was advised by Sven Nijs to focus on road racing because Sven Nijs thought that he had more potential on the road. And it showed the youngster from Lotto Sudal, who recently got third at the Under-23 World Championships time trial, getting that second place, being in the attack for almost 200 kilometers. Very impressive stuff by both Van der Poel and Vermeers. I think one of the things that I that I found very exciting to watch was probably Van der Poel taking those corners, especially on the couple sections. It was kind of a... It was almost like a do-or-die action in a way, how he took those corners. It was so fast. He... You know, it was immense to see the difference between the way he took it and then the gap he got after a corner compared to other guys, just the normal kind of road cyclists. And, um, you know, that was that was that was very exciting. But the race in general was very good and it was it was fun to watch till the end. Yeah, those corners were really impressive. The guy just took anywhere from five to 20 meters on the other guys. It was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, it, it did, I think, show a little bit that he was slightly off form still, um, not quite peaking. And also, shout out to uh, Heinrich Hausler, who has, of course, been crossing over the past two seasons, has it already been, uh, getting a, a very nice 10th place today as well. Definitely also some other cyclocross guys like Anthony Tugis just outside of the top 10. Today is probably the road race that came the closest to cyclocross. I got uh, a message from one of my friends actually who was thinking he was watching a cyclocross race. And I personally don't blame them because if you look on that cobble section, completely full of mud. The riders completely under the mud. You could barely recognize them. They were riding with 32 millimeter tires. I mean, it did look a lot like cyclocross through the cornfields, and this is definitely one of the most legendary editions of Paris-Roubaix, at least from the modern history, but probably from the entire history. What makes it even more legendary is that yesterday was the first women's edition of Paris-Roubaix. Antoine, I know you would like to say something about that. Yeah, unfortunately, Lizzie Dynan had made a decisive move before live Im- uh, the images were actually live. Uh, but it would be Marianne Vos that would go on to uh, claim a beautiful second place, showing some uh, very good form headed toward the cyclocross season as well. Um, and uh, some of the other women that were showing to be very capable bike handlers uh, as well. Christine Majerus really leading a lot of the cobble sectors and just looking very stable out there. Yeah, definitely. That was really nice to see. 
I wonder if Voss will do cyclocross. I reckon she will. She is one of the bigger names of the cyclocross sport. I think she has, I don't know from the top of my head, but seven world titles, which is an awful lot. And that's only in cyclocross. So I definitely look forward to seeing her in the field because I think she will be coming at some point. Anyway, then I think we can round off this long episode of the Cyclocross Social Podcast. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Talon Isam, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And next week we'll be back. We'll be making a preview podcast for the first round of the World Cup, which will be held in Waterloo in the United States. And of course, we'll also be discussing that race. So I hope to catch you guys then. Goodbye.